Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome into another edition of Trailblazers, talking to Kiwi women doing wonderful things in the world of sport. I'm Ricky Swanell. Thanks for being with us on SCNZ. And my guest today is one of our most highly respected sports leaders. I could go through the whole CV, but we'd be here a while. So I'll just go a couple of the organisations, New Zealand Rugby, the Warriors, the CEO of the Adelaide Rams, remember them, the Hurricanes, New Zealand Cricket, the New Zealand Olympic Committee, where my guest Liz Dawson is the newly elected president. President Liz, welcome to Trailblazers. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, and thank you very much for having me on your show. Oh, it's my pleasure. I feel like I've now that we've got you on, it's the sort of the trio because we've had Katie Sadley, I've had Karen Smith, and now I've got Liz Dawson. So I'm quite happy with that. Excellent. <laughs> well, they are fine women they and uh, very, very. Um, privileged to have served alongside them in various capacities. They certainly are. Well, look, I, I sort of rattled off to a, a list of places, but that's that's just by the by more than anything. So le- I'd, I'd love to go right back. Has sport always been part of your life, Liz? Yes. Yeah, I was brought up in a sporting family. My father was a very good sportsman and he played uh, rugby for South Canterbury, represented South Canterbury, and uh, represented uh, um, Canterbury in cricket so he played in the Walter Hadley era so it's a long time ago now and um, so I basically was brought up at what was Lancaster Park <laughs> and uh, in Christchurch and uh, Hagley Oval um, I guess you know Sundays and Saturdays spent you know watching rugby and uh, and watching cricket and um, I guess that really set the scene for it but one of the um, one of the moments that I remember um, very well is being taken to the Commonwealth Games, 1974 Commonwealth Games at Kiwi 2 Park in Christchurch and um, being inspired as a kid um, by the, the fabulousness of the athletes and the bringing together of a community, if you like, mm. and rallying um, around um, a, a great big sporting moment. And, um, you know, that's one of those abiding memories. I mean, my own sport... Um, I mean, I did all the usual sort of things at school, played cricket at Christchurch Girls High. Actually, Leslie Murdoch was my captain. No. I was a very scared, skinny little 15-year-old behind the wickets with the wicket-keeping gloves on as she was barreling down the... um, down the pitch with her fast bowling. So um, that was a pretty good introduction for me. (laughs) Um, You know, but it played all sorts of sports when I was a kid. Um, But the sport that I really enjoyed and continue to um, be active in is skiing, so snow skiing. So, um, yeah, there's a few stories behind that, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) I never realised you were such a diet in the wall can tab. Um, Well, I think when you shift away uh, from... (laughs) 
from places like Christchurch. I mean, you, the world opens up, <laughs> put it that way. And uh, a very fine supporter of the Hurricanes. And, um, you know, that, I guess, you know, having lived in Australia as well, I'm um, a supporter of the St Kilda Football Club uh, in Melbourne. So I think it opens your eyes up to... Um, uh, supporting other organisations as well. <laughs> I won't. I won't tell Leslie Murdoch that. We will. We'll, we'll bleep that bit out. As as the most Cantab person I know, <laughs> um, she is. Oh, I mean, what an extraordinary. Um, I mean, way to, to to grow up and as I said, on on the side of the sports field and that Christchurch community. What was it about sport there that seems to have bred through these the, a whole lot of women like yourselves to uh, and and be open to playing and and doing all of those different things? Gosh, that is... Um, I don't think I've ever been asked that before, Ricky. Um, <laughs> what is it about Canterbury? Yeah, I don't know. But I think um, if I reflect on it, um, it was a time where sport was an important part of the community. Mm. And having that imbued in my life, if you like, through my, um, through my parents... Um, it was just part of, you know, it was part of what you did as as a kid growing up. That was part of your community. So, and I remember my father saying, even though, you know, he was probably a traditionalist, you know, girls can do anything. So the fact that he supported me in my um, in my sport, he used to come and watch uh, me play cricket. He watched the team play and practices after school and so on. So I felt, I guess I felt supported mm. um, as a youngster growing up. The skiing uh, you mentioned, and, and I think you, you went on to be a, a ski instructor. How? I mean, that part of the country, you're in, you're in a pretty good spot to get down to get to the mountains. What was it about skiing that you were attracted to? Um, look, if I think about it now, it's the freedom. You know, I feel free when I'm on my skis, and I can go anywhere. I'm uh, I can do whatever I want. Um, so it's that feeling of being in complete. Well, lack of control sometimes, but you know, <laughs> being um, my own, you know, my own person, if you like. And um, you know, uh, there are some wonderful people who um, have been instrumental in my um, skiing, well, my ski instructing career. And two of them are from Porter Heights. Um, so Gerald Ottawa and Uli Dinsenbacher, who were both, they're both. Uh, New Zealanders now, but they were German, you know, German born yeah. and bred. But they, um, you know, both took me under their wing and um, encouraged me as well, and encouraged me to get through my ski instructing uh, exams. And uh, and also when I went to Austria and worked in Austria, the um, the local um, owners of the ski school, or the, I call them the burgers um, of the ski school that I worked in over there, they again they saw something in a Kiwi and encouraged and and um, and guided me um, through uh, exams and and being a good being a good ski instructor, if you like. Were you, did you ever compete? No, 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 I didn't compete. So I went on to the. The, the sort of the more instructing side rather than the racing side. Yeah. Why, why did you sort of, I guess, choose that path effectively, as you say, instructing or, or coaching? Um, I was probably never good enough <laughs> to be a, a, a racer um, and also probably didn't have uh, the, the financial wherewithal behind me at that in those days. I mean, the, to be uh, um, a very good 
ski racer in those days, you had to have um, you know a full family commitment behind you, both uh, financially and uh, commitment in terms of time and travel and international travel and so on. And there were a few New Zealanders who had the opportunity to do that. You, you say um, people who sort of supported you to encourage you through your, your exams and all that. Was it a, a, an unusual thing for women to be ski instructors at that time or was it just that, that it's just bloody hard to something to do? You need people to back you up. Um, gosh, I've never really thought about that. Um, there were a number of female ski instructors, um, but when I think about it, most of them were male. Um Hmm. I guess the other thing too, Ricky, when I look back on it is I didn't have, apart from my mother, um, who was a pretty strong person, I didn't have female role models, you know, generational, mm. yep. I suppose. And so the people who were around, um, who supported and, and coached and, and um, backed me were all male mm. because that's just how it was. And so... Um, that's one of the things that um, I have been very conscious of as I've um, been through my career is to ensure that um, I work hard to encourage and support young women as well as young men, um, but young women in particular. And so I think that reflects in the gender equality work and um, some of the other stuff that I've done of latter years, um, particularly in, you know, around cricket um, and supporting the Women's World Cup and all of those sorts of things. You know, females need female role models. Sure. And if I can, if I can be that, then, um, then, you know, I've been a good New Zealander and done a good job. Hundred percent, oh, definitely. Um, you said you mentioned so you you with the, the skin trade. You, you ended up in Austria, and as I say, they. I mean, I have watched three year olds barrel down Austrian mountains while I've walked down because <laughs> I was too terrified. Um, you, how did they embrace uh, a, a someone from the other side of the world coming over and really showing them that you're as good as what they could do? Well, they were great. It was a lovely little village called Westendorf, which is uh, in the Tyrol, which is not far from, uh, in, not far from Kitzbühel, actually, which is one yeah. of the famous um, Austrian ski resort towns. And um, I was the only Kiwi uh, in the village. There were a couple of Australians, and uh, but I was the only Kiwi. And um, I, luckily, I had learnt. Um, I mean, reasonably basic, but I had learnt German. And so um, because I could speak a bit of German and I tried uh, to communicate in their own language and and learnt a bit of the Austrian dialect or the Tyrolean dialect from the area. I think, you know, when you travel and you try to um, um, communicate with people in your own language, it really, really goes a long way. And um, so, you know, made very good friends um, I've been back a number of times as a as an older person, and uh, have um, you know caught up with friends uh, and who I um, who I made people I flattered with, and so on. So it's one of those lifelong um, connections that I'll always cherish. Must have been a great lifestyle. It was yes, very tiring. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe a work hard, play hard mentality. Oh, yeah, there's quite a bit of that, I can assure you. But let's not reflect on that, shall yes, we? Yes, no, we, we best not, we best not. My guest today on Trailblazers is, well well and truly fits up to the title of the show, Liz Dawson. Stay with us here on SCNZ, more in a moment. Thanks for being with us on Trailblazers today. I'm Ricky Swanell and my guest is one of our most highly respected sports leaders, Liz Dawson. We've talked about a life on the ski slopes or an early life on the ski slopes and growing up and playing sport in Canterbury. Canterbury. But Liz, how did you, I guess, parlay that activeness, that that love of the game and that family love of sport into a career in sport? Well, I um, I was working in a um, in, for a company called Tip Top Ice Cream Company oh. um, in a marketing career and um, I saw an advertisement essay had in those days in the classified section <laughs> of the newspaper, which probably doesn't exist anymore, um, for a marketing manager wanted for the New Zealand Rugby Union. And I thought to myself, if I don't give that a go, then I'll never know, you know, whether they want a woman, whether it's acceptable, you know, what, what whatever they want as a person for the role. You know, I looked at the job description and everything and I fitted the bill and I thought, well, if I don't give that a go, then I'll never know whether um, whether there was an opportunity or not. So I applied for the role and um, you know, I was duly shortlisted and interviewed and, and got the job. And um, at that stage, the New Zealand Rugby Union was um, uh, very much a committee-run organisation. It was quite different in size than it is today, very different commercially than it is today. Um, and... Um, uh, much smaller, as I said. You know, there were, I don't know, there were probably only about 10 or 11 staff or something like that. Wow. Um, so, it's, uh, it's a, so that was sort of my, if you like, my um, uh, my opening gambit into, um, into sports administration. And boy, did I learn a lot um, <laughs> what, at that the... time. But, you know, you go into this... Sorry, you oh, go no, into I was just going to say what era that was, open. yeah. Yeah, so that was the, um, I'm trying to remember back, I think the early 1990s. Right. Yeah, early 1990s. And um, like I say, you know, went in with my eyes fully open. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that my father, who had already passed away by this stage, but he had gone on from his playing career to be a volunteer administrator. So he was president of the Canterbury Cricket Association and, you know, various other roles that he had had. And and having seen him um, do those roles, I was very, um, probably well educated in terms of what to expect in a sporting organisation. So that's the thing about, you know, when I went into uh, rugby league as well as, you know, you go in with your eyes open because... They can be quite tough environments. In what way tough? Um, so tough being a female in a in a male environment. Um, you know, for rugby rugby league in those days, um, I'm not sure if it's the same now because it's a long time ago now. But you know, it's a brutal sport on the field, and it's a brutal sport off the field, um, particularly in Australia. In those days, very political because mm. there was the um, the Super League wars between Fox 
uh, TV and, and Channel 9. So that was Griffith Murdoch's uh, Fox Network, which was building up at the time, and Kerry Packer's Channel 9 that had the rights for the broadcast rights for years and years and years to what was the Winfield Cup in New South Wales Rugby League, and then that expanded into what is now, um, it became the Super League, and now what is the, the MRL. So, you know, lots of money. Um, and, and political and uh, and um, quite vitriolic. Yeah. Do you see, if you think uh, recently, we look at Raylene Castle, who's also on the hit list to come on the show, um, FYI, Raylene, if you're listening, um, and, and the time that she had, obviously, at the Canterbury Bulldogs and Rugby Australia, which was it similar attitudes, but what, gosh, 20 years on, still not much change? Yeah, I mean, Raylene and I are good, are good mates and, um, you know, highly respect her uh, career and uh, her as a person. And um, she has experienced, I'm sure, I mean, we've talked about it, some of the things that she's experienced were very similar. I mean, mirrored almost. Mm. And um, so I think when you when you do get her on the show, um, she'll be able to tell you some things that, and, and give you her experiences as well. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I wouldn't want to speak for her, but, um, you know, I do know that we, we have shared. Yeah, I bet, <laughs> I bet. How did you end up at the Adelaide Rams then? So I was working for the Warriors, um, and we were uh, two years into um, uh, the Warriors actually being on the field, and so this was 1996, and this Super League started up which was funded by um, the Murdoch uh, uh, Broadcast and, and Media um, uh, Organisation. And so expansion, so the, basically it was split and there were um, teams that went with what was traditionally the NRL, uh, the New South Wales Rugby League, and then teams that were set up and went with the Super League and the Adelaide Rams was one of that and the Warriors was also one of that in that period of time. So people won't remember, but there were two competitions mm. running at the same time. It was bizarre. And um, and the Adelaide Rams was one of the, t- the expansion teams that was set up by the Super League and they needed a CEO and they needed to make a statement. And so... Um, uh, you know, that was the that was the pathway into into that organisation. It was. I, I mean, I was obviously younger, but I, I as a footy head and loved watching. It was an extraordinary time. Um, I can, and I can imagine to have been in the thick of the politics and as a New Zealander going into that. What sort of? I mean, people probably want to hear horror stories, but what was some of the <laughs> the attitudes and and the the as you say that that politics that you must have come up against. Yeah, um, gosh, when I think about it now, it um, some of it seems so um, sad, really. Yeah. Um, you know, people's lives were absolutely wrecked by the stance that they took, you know, whether they agreed with the Super League or agreed with the New South Wales Rugby League, you know, whether they... Um, at the end of the day, it was all about broadcast rights. Who had the rights to broadcast the game of rugby league? And who was going to pay for it? Um, so um, that drove um, behaviours that and, and attitudes that were just, you know, I look back on it now and I think it was 
not only strange, it was um, really, really difficult. And, you know, like I say, people's lives got wrecked. And um, and, the, and the amount of money that was floating around too in terms of the players uh, were able to take advantage of um, very large pay packets. Mm. Well, you know, if you're a player and that's your only source of livelihood, well, of course you're going to get attracted to, um, you know, what sort of um, salary you could get. Um, and probably some of those behaviours around that were not that good either. But, um, you know, it's a long time ago now yeah. and a number of those players and the coaches and so have gone, have gone on to have absolutely stellar careers. And luckily, the the, the, the war, if you like, the Super League war, um, was, you know, completed <laughs> and... The NRL, the NRL was formed out of that, and but memories run deep for a lot of people. Yeah, and um, you know, they are um, sometimes not so pleasant to reflect on. Yeah, for sure. In such, as you said, robust, tough environments the early days of, of New Zealand rugby pre-professionalism and then going into that professional era and then into Super League, NRL, ARL, all of that kind of stuff, AFL rather. Who supported you? Because I can imagine, as you say, tough environments, uh, uh, hard work, long hours. Um, how, how did you go through that? Uh, look, I had a very supportive CEO when I was here in New Zealand at the Warriors. So Ian Robson was my CEO at the time. And two really um, great chairs of, of the board at the time as well. So they were um, they became good sounding boards for me, you know, in later uh, later times. But um, uh, yeah, it wasn't. Um, I, just thinking back to the Adelaide Rams days. I mean, really, I used to bring Ian a lot, Ian mm-hmm. Robson a lot. He was working. Um, he was still at the Warriors at the time, and you know, he was um, he was a good sounding board for me. Um, and we've remained uh, good friends, um, you know, to this day. So it's people like that who, you know, you really know who your true friends are and your true supporters are when you go through a very tough situation like that. I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, the, the coach of the Rams, he had lost the dressing room. This is in the second year. And the players um, were not uh, doing what he wanted he wasn't coaching them the way that they wanted to be coached. And basically the, the board said the coach has got to go. And um, so the chair of the board at the time came out to the offices and had the hard conversations with the coaching, t- coaching staff. And that evening, and then basically I had to do the media after that. And um, that evening... Um, I had to do a radio interview with, um, oh, I can't remember his name now. Um, I can see him. Sorry, <laughs> I'm having one of these old people. No, that's right. Um, just um, famous rugby union and rugby league. Oh, not Alan, um, Alan Jones. Alan Jones. Oh, Alan Jones. Right. So he, I had to do a radio interview oh. with him, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, what, you know. Anyway, he, he was just... I mean, I'd never met the man. I haven't. I have never met the man to this day. I'd never met him. Never had a conversation with him. 
Well, he gave me the, he just absolutely gave it to me on this interview. Who do you think you are? Not only are you a woman, you're a Kiwi. What would you know about rugby league? And I mean, he just absolutely gave it to me. So that's the sort of environment that um, that we were operating in. And, you know, the funny part about it at the time, it was serendipitous part, was that my mother had come over to Australia to have a couple of weeks with me. And so she was there to support me. Always still got to have mum there. <laughs> Perfect timing. Yep. And I don't think yep. you're, I don't think you're missing out on much by having not met Alan Jones from everything I hear anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take another break. I would say if, if you, for, for young listeners who weren't around or, or didn't know about that Super League time, it is worth reading up on because it was quite an extraordinary time uh, in sport for sure. Uh, we'll take a quick break here on SENZ Trailblazers. More in a moment with Liz Dawson. You're listening to Trailblazers on SENZ where we're talking about the career of leading sports administrator Liz Dawson. We sort of have heard some of the horror stories of earlier in the days, but looking at some of the stuff you're doing of late, Liz, and, and a lot more in that governance um, role and those volunteer, voluntary administrative things that you, your father did as well, are you starting finally to see the change of attitudes about having women in these roles, women on the boardroom and women at the higher end of, of our sports organisations? Uh, Ricky, it is just a joy. It really is. that um, What we are now seeing is uh, people as New Zealanders and, and um, people from overseas as well in some of the work that I do internationally, but they actually get it. They get that balanced boards make great decisions and that you cannot grow a sport, um, you cannot attract people to a sport, you cannot engage your community if you don't engage your community. And that's, you know, in any business sense, if, um, if a marketing director came to me as, uh, as a board member and said, actually, he, my you know, target audience is... is only males, and um, uh, um, you know, I'm going to forget about half the population. That really doesn't make good business sense to not consider half the population. So um, I, it's just it's fantastic to see that there are um, great women and great men making fantastic contributions. And when we look at at the moment, particularly looking at our wonderful Olympic team and Commonwealth Games team, the New Zealand teams that are being taken to games, half of the teams are women. Mm. And, um, you know, the boards are, are balanced. And uh, what we need to do, I think, now is we need to find pathways for coaches and technical officials and get more females involved in being able to have the time um, to be engaged in coaching and, uh, and um, you know, whether it's refereeing or whether it's timekeeping or whether it's scoring or whatever it happens to be, to actually get them involved in, in those areas as well. And um, so, you know, the work hasn't finished. Mm. But um, if we look at the moment here at the, at the World Cup, so we've had the Cricket World Cup, amazing results out of the Cricket World Cup that was hosted here. And I think if we remember back to it, we were probably still in red, oh. you know, COVID red, yeah. traffic light or something at the time. I mean, I'd look back on it now and I think to myself, 
how did we ever manage that? But anyway, and now we've got this fabulous rugby world cup going on at the moment, and we're going to have the FIFA Women's World Cup next year. And let me tell you, New Zealand has seen nothing yet. Yeah. If we think that these two World Cups that we've had already are, are something phenomenal, we haven't seen anything yet until that FIFA machine rolls into town next year. Yeah, we had um, Maya Jackman on the show, uh, or last week, or, or recently anyway, and um, and, was, and anyone I've talked to around football has said, people don't quite know what's going to come yet, do, do they? It's, um, it is going to be something else for sure. But uh, talking about those changes that you've seen, rugby is still having its struggles um, in terms of its representation, and, and I know you're heavily involved with the Hurricanes, but why do they still seem to be a little challenged, shall we say, in this area, not the Hurricanes, rugby in general? Yeah, so um, it is a constitutional matter for New Zealand rugby. There is no question that there is a will to um, have a, um, a better balance on the particular New Zealand rugby board. There is no question. But the constitution, which the members um, uh, vote, um, the members have to agree to changes to the constitution. And the Constitution says that there will be certain representation from the membership, that there'll be certain independence, and then that others will be voted in in a different way. Mm. So until the rugby community can agree to a constitutional change that will make that easier, it is what it is at the moment. And, you know, to be fair... Um, there are three women on the board and they are incredibly competent and amazing women. So Rowena Davenport from Otago, we've got Dame Patsy. I mean, yeah, hello. <laughs> you've got the ex-Governor-General on your board <laughs> and, and Dr Farah Palmer. So, um, so three, it's getting there, but the rest of the rugby community has to agree that, it's the, that, um, that they are prepared to change the constitution. Yeah. It's, it's quite simple, really. Where do you stand on quotas for boards? <laughs> Look, if you'd asked me that 10 years ago, I would have said, absolutely not. I do not agree with it. Women should be able to get there on their own right. But what I've learned over the past, well, particularly the past 10 years, but um, through the work that we did with New Zealand Cricket and building the governance uh, capability of um, not only New Zealand Cricket, but also the cricketing community, is that unless there are interventions um, like quotas, like um, uh, going and finding uh, the, the right women, making it um, easy for women to feel welcomed, making their voices feel valued, unless you put those interventions in place, it's very difficult to change. So... Um, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a fan of quotas, but I actually understand as an as an intervention they are um, enormously um, uh, successful. Yeah, for sure. Well, as long as the work goes on behind, yes, yeah, um, Ricky. You know, in terms of all the other supporting mechanisms. Yeah, I mean, when we well, sort of, as I say, rattle off your CV and say oh, you're a director of this or a board member of New Zealand Cricket, what do you actually do? In those uh, jobs. Oh, well, what is good I'm, governance? Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> You're not New Zealand I'm cricket not anymore, are you? Of, no, no. So um, 
I've retired from all boards ah. except for all the commercial boards and all my um, sporting boards other than the work that I do around the New Zealand Olympic Committee. So I'm a president and board member of New Zealand Olympic Committee and um, I am an ex-officio uh, member of the Integrity Committee of the St Pilda Football Club uh, and I do a couple of other um, sort of voluntary things, uh, gender equality uh, commission for Oceania um, and the Gender Equality Commission for ANOC, which is the Association of National Olympic Committees. Right. And then I still have a lovely connection with cricket as a member of the um, um, the Female Leadership Advisory Group. Nice. So uh, there's a group of four of us and we meet about three or four times a year and assist the um, wonderful young manager of the um, female leadership uh, network in New Zealand cricket to just as an advisory group, just some guidance and so on around strategies and so on. Mm. I'd imagine as someone who who got uh, found the bug or that love of the big events and the community at the at the Com Games um, in Christchurch, this NZIC, your new role as the as the president of the NZIC, that must be a, a real high. Oh, look, it is such a privilege, Ricky. It really is, and it's an honour. You know, as a person who actually, um, you know, my my sporting fame, if you like, or, or is, is you know much um, less than some of our wonderful athletes um, by you know every stretch of the imagination. But to be able to support and um, and lead an organisation and assist our uh, our board and our staff to and to do everything that we can to ensure that our athletes get the best opportunity to perform at their best at games. Such a privilege. Yeah, they're a pretty pretty cool bunch to be around. There's someone who's been privileged to yes as well see um, see them from the outside and what a what a cool job. We'll have one more quick break here on SENZ Trailblazers and back in a moment with Liz Dawson. Thanks for being with us on Trailblazers. I've been chatting today with Liz Dawson about a lengthy and incredible career career in sports administration. I actually think there's probably a book in here somewhere, Liz, as we've chatted away. <laughs> Not that I'm putting my hand up to do those because they give you quite quite stressful situations. Have you have you ever actually thought about it or have you put it all down? Do you keep diaries no, and recollections? No. no and no. Um, <laughs> so what I, what I have done is... Um, I keep a daily record and have done for years and years of who I've spoken to during the day, whether I, you know, whether it was a phone call, whether I was able to speak with them or not. You know, I had little notations and so on. And when I look back on them, the amount of time I used to spend on the phone, oh, you know, lordy, I just look back on oh. them. Um, you know, the, a lot of the, um, you know, communicating, I think that's the thing is communication was probably key to actually connecting in and understanding and being able to work through some pretty tough situations and then celebrate and enjoy some pretty fantastic, uh, um, you know, successes and so on. Mm. So I think that's the thing really is uh, no for a book 
Nah, it's not that interesting, really. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, you, you said like you have roles, particularly around sort of integrity issues and things like that. It's been a really challenging few years, I think, on that front in sport. I mean, are there things that we're getting right at high performance sport level, and things that we're still getting wrong? And I mean, not the high performance sport as an organisation. I mean, as a broad term for where we're at at that level. Yeah, um, I think we're getting a lot better at understanding um, the, the extent of what integrity means so and, and what it covers and what does match manipulation look like for example if you're an athlete and someone comes up to you and says oh I see you're in the um, you're in the, you know do you know who's in the squad the next year or next week and you go oh yeah I'm, I'm in the squad for next week and you know or whatever it happens to be not knowing or not even thinking about where that person's going to take that information mm. and what they're going to do with it. So, um, so I think we're getting a lot better at educating our, our high performance athletes. Um, I think we're getting a and wider. You know, has got um, a, you know is doing a really good job of the work around. And you know, here in New Zealand, um, DFSNZ, uh, Rugby Sport New Zealand, doing a really good job of ensuring that. Um, that the process around uh, athletes understanding their uh, requirements is is really starting to. Um, I think they're doing a really good job, um, you know. And, but I think around. Um, I mean, this integrity committee that I sit on with uh, St Kilda Football Club, the AFL um, after the Essendon. Um, uh, affair, if you want to call it that, where um, players were being injected with um, God knows what. Um, When that all came to light and uh, was exposed, that the AFL um, moved very quickly to uh, require every board of every club to have an independent integrity committee, um, which sat, um, and we don't report to the board of uh, St Kilda Football Club, but we're an adjunct to it to ensure that there are um, certain things that this integrity committee has to do and has to oversee, um, which includes the salary cap as well. So, you know, integrity is a very, it's a one word for a really broad mm. set of behaviours and, um, and requirements um, around keeping sport clean, if you like, and given, which means giving every athlete the best opportunity to perform at their best. Just, just listening, I know we have heaps of younger women who listen to this and, and may think that it's the areas they want to head down if they, you know, but like but like yourself and myself where, where the athletic prowess wasn't quite where it needed to be, but wanting to be involved in sport, what would you sort of give us advice or what are some of those kind of key skills and attributes that make a good someone in sports governance and, and leadership and administration? I think a broader understanding of um, the, um, the the good that sport can do for a community. So, um, you know, when I see, for example, when I see the um, the way uh, New Zealanders just light up as a community when the Commonwealth Games athletes are doing what they're doing, you know, and how that makes the country feel. So that understanding of 
the importance of sport at a community level. And and then um, I think good business sense. Um, uh, if you are particularly interested in the integrity side of things, then you know people who have got uh, legal backgrounds or police or military or um, or an understanding of um, I guess what's right, you know yeah. what's right, what's just, what's fair. Um, there are plenty of opportunities for people from all walks of life um, and those who have been athletes. I mean, the athlete voice is one that, you know, that's, I'm really proud of our Athletes Commission, um, the New Zealand Olympic Committee's Athletes Commission. I mean, those young people are incredible. They are thoughtful, they're considered, they're committed, and they're as committed to all of that as they were when they were athletes, uh, active athletes in the field of play. I mean, they're amazing people. And to be able to encourage them and see, um, you know, what they can bring and bringing their athlete voice, which is a considered athlete voice, to um, bring that to be a very important in the work that we do at the New Zealand Olympic Committee. When you're working in, you know, full noise, it's a busy, exciting kind of industry. It's robust, as you said, and tough at times. How do you how do you get away from it all? Oh well, uh, I'm lucky enough to live in um, most of the time in the Wairarapa, and my uh, my husband and I live on a farm, and my happy place is on my tractor. So uh, on Saturday, I was spending a bit of time on the tractor doing some mowing. So you know, I. That gets me completely away from it, so that's my happy place. I reckon you'd be like the most stylish person on a tractor. <laughs> well, Andrea Nelson threatens that she's going to come to the farm one day and make sure that I am, <laughs> that I'm not wearing my business business clothes when I'm on the tractor. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And sometimes, something I often ask a guest on the show, if it's an athlete, I often ask them who's the best person they've played against or played with. But for you, have you got a, a favourite uh, or most rewarding event or, or something that you have been part of that you've walked away at the end and gone, yeah, that was special or we've nailed that? Yeah. Look, there's a couple, actually. I mean, the, the one um, sort of furthest in the past, if you like, was the... Um, um, the bid to host the Rugby World Cup. So uh, when we did the bid, it was in 2005 to host Rugby World Cup 2011. And the day that um, the envelope was opened and the words New Zealand were read out, I was just, it was epic, absolutely epic. All the hard work that had gone into um, making that happen was just such a joy. And then the second one has been um, probably, the, I've said to David White um, of recent times at New Zealand Cricket, you know, the highlight of my governance career has probably been Cricket World Cup um, 2022, mm. um, which I, as we talked about before, which was hosted here earlier. And just going through postponements um, and, you know, the lockdowns and trying to keep as a for us around the board table and Andrea as the CEO, um, you know, assisting and keeping and guiding that organisation and the staff in that organisation through all of those incredible difficulties. And, 
you know, the ICC had to make a decision as well whether they were actually going to allow it to go ahead in New Zealand under red. You know, could we bring the athletes in? Could we get the officials into the country? And um, all of the challenges that were put that were put in our way. And you know, as Andrew and I reflected, we just said, just we can only control what we can control, and we just have to put one step in front of the, each in front of the other, and we'll get through this. We will get this. This will happen. We will make it happen. And you absolutely. I think back now, and and I think it's a bloody miracle. <laughs> it got through that <laughs> at that time because that was COVID firing big time through that through that earlier this year. Extraordinary. Yeah, it was, and you know we re- we forget that very easily, and you know we move on to the next thing. But I think when I, you know, the joy on the faces of the athletes, the joy on the faces of the um, of the spectators at Hagley Oval at that uh, at that final when we were allowed to have a, a full crowd was just, I mean, that's the culmination of it all, and the fact that those players were able to perform to their best. They had the best pitches, and it was one thing that David White always said, um, was these the women have to be treated the same as the men. It's a World Cup, for, good, for goodness sake, and they have to have the best pitches. They have to have the right changing, changing rooms. They have to have um, the same hotels, the same flights. They have to be treated exactly the same, and we will get the best out of them and they will perform well. And he was absolutely right, and that's what happened. Mm. And this is the thing about Rugby World Cup too, is that the women are playing on Eden Park, where the men play. And so they jolly well should. It's a World Cup. Yeah. For sure. Oh, that is a wonderful note to finish on. I feel like I've barely scratched the surface, um, but we do, yeah, time restraints. We always say we'll get somebody back for a second episode and cover everything else. Liz, it has been uh, absolutely fascinating, thoroughly enjoyable. Thank you so much uh, for joining me on Trailblazers. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Ricky. It's always a pleasure to talk sport.